gently geht. I heard a Hello and welcome to the Cop Table podcast. Tonight we are previewing the Burnley versus Liverpool game on uh, Saturday in the Premier League. On tonight's show, representing Burnley, we have Natalie Bromley. Natalie is from the No Nay Never podcast by Burnley. She is also a full-time corporate lawyer and a part-time poker player. Born and raised in Burnley, she got her first season tickets for Turf Moor at the age of nine. She's also a member of the Sam Vokes fan club and says her kittens are my kryptonite and she is team Captain America. So very warm welcome to the show, Natalie. Thank you very much. It's very nice to be here. Excellent. And on the Liverpool side of things, we have Craig Hegarty. Craig is a massive Reds fan. He's also a UEFA-B licensed coach and has has aspirations of uh, coaching full-time. Craig has also appeared previously on the Cop Table podcast when he previewed the Euro 16 show with myself and did an absolutely fantastic job on that. Um, very knowledgeable indeed. So looking forward to it tonight, Craig. How are you? I'm good, man. Nice, nice to meet you. So uh, I'm really looking forward to this. Good stuff. And we have uh, Riding Shotgun once again, our good friend Peter Collis. How are we, Pete? I'm good, I'm good. How are you? Very well, thank you. Peter went to the game yesterday, so we'll have uh, plenty to talk about that later on in the show. But we will start off with yourself, Natalie. What did you make of Burnley's first game back at the Premier League on Saturday against Swansea City? Um, mixed feelings, to be honest. It all had a very familiar feel to it, if um, if I'm honest. It had all the hallmarks of a typically new promoted side who had grit and determination. We looked very composed. We looked very calm. And actually, I think out of the three Premier League campaigns that we've had, this was the one where I felt we looked most comfortable in our surroundings. Yep. Saying that, we didn't create anything at all from midfield. Our supply line to our front two was really, really poor. Um, and I worry that that's going to be our downfall this season. As such, we created a few chances we certainly had the better of the second half by um, a country mile and before we knew it laps in concentration and Swansea created it one chance on the 83rd minute and scored so left feeling very deflated I'm afraid but a huge amount of positives to take from the game. Yeah you say about the problems in the passing between the midfield and the strikers was that not a product of the the way that Swansea played against yourself did they flood the midfield to take it and and hit you on the break? Yeah, I mean, one of our, I think one of Sean Dyche's um, weaknesses, I guess, um, and there's not many of them, he's a fantastic manager and one we're immensely proud to have. But one of the things that he struggled with the first Premier League, well, our second Premier League campaign, but his first was in his inflexibility to be able to change his formation. He is an absolute, he just won't move from the 4-4-2 formation. And I think he tried it in our second Premier League campaign against away at West Brom. And I think that was something stupid, like a 4-0. We were 4-0 down by half time. Swansea played 4-5-1. They packed midfield. Um, we just, it, basically our midfield almost got, left out you know we were playing long balls from defense over to our front two Um, and yeah they packed midfield and we didn't really have an answer and we don't have any impact players off the bench either which we struggled with over to yourself Peter go on Craig your question is how impressed were you with Liverpool's performance yesterday especially the 25 minutes after half time it's a tough it's a tough question because a lot of people are taking a lot of different things from it you know when you spend a lot of time on Twitter you see so many different emotions and so many different 
so many different opinions on how the game went. In my opinion, I don't think we played very well at all in the first half. I don't think we I don't think we implemented Klopp's pressing game at all. You know, we had many better games last season than what we did in that first half. And um, like you said, the second half, that twenty five minutes was just out of this world, you know, it was it was really, really good. It was effective and I think a lot of that was down to the little magician, you know, the first half he wasn't even hardly there. He was he didn't have a touch on the ball, he didn't look really interested, and then he just pops up forty six minute, sticks one in the top corner. And I think that set the tone then for the second half. It made Klopp's team talk a whole lot easier at half time. Because it you know, he just says, you know, we've played crap basically, but we're not losing. So go out, play the way you can and see what happens. And they did that. And at the start of the second half, you know, they just blew Arsenal away. Arsenal didn't have an answer to to what we were throwing at them with the pace going forward. Even Genie Wijnaldum really impressed me with his forward runs and a lot of his movement is something we didn't have last season. You know, if we had, say, Lucas in there or or Joe Allen in the middle of the park, you know, we Joe done well, but at the same time, he didn't offer the same stuff going forward as Genie Wijnaldum offered yesterday. So I was really impressed with, with that 25-minute spell. And again, then, it's always you're you're at your most vulnerable, you know, after you just concede and we proved that. You know, we scored the fourth goal and within a minute or two it was four two and straight away you're starting to think, Oh, this is Liverpool crumbling again. And then they scored the third and then it started to really get nerve wracking because there was still about twenty five minutes to go. But then what impressed me was the calm heads. You know, I thought Henderson sort of stood up and he led by example, you know, on the pitch. He he just started to slow things down. He he, he used his brain, you know, and that's something we haven't seen before because there's a lot of times, you know, you look back to the Palace game when, when it was 3-0 up at half time and all of a sudden 3-3 and the league's away. But, you know, we didn't have anybody there that sort of thought, right, hold on, let's put the handbrake on here and let's just relax, you know, and that was something that really impressed me, nearly more so than what went forward. You know, it was game management on on Sunday. And that I just thought it was really, really well done, you know, to see out that remaining 20, 25 minutes. And Arsenal didn't create an awful lot after that. You know, we stayed compact. Klopp brought Emery Chan on. Thought that helped bolster up the midfield a bit. But in all honesty, I, I was I was impressed with that 25 minutes. I wasn't impressed with the first half. And I wasn't impressed with the performance as much in the, in that sort of other 20 minutes of the second half. But I was impressed with how they managed the game. You know, we didn't create anything really then after that. You know, we didn't really. He brought Origi on to try and help with the counter attack, but again, he didn't really get a run at the back, at the back two centre halves anyway. So, you know, they managed the game well, and it was good to see it out and get the the big three points. You know, away to the Emirates, that's one big away game ticked off already. So overall, I'm chuffed to bits. I really am happy, but there's so many things where if you look deep into it, you see there's so many things you can look at and say, well, we can improve here and we can improve there, but. That's a good thing because we won four three away to Arsenal and we can still improve, which to me is something that's really exciting for the rest of the season. Yeah, I completely agree with you there, Craig. I think uh, when we were coming up the ground, a few of the lads touched on it on, in the second half with Wijnaldum and Lallana, how well they were going forward. And yep. the first Definitely. half, there was a few people complaining about Firmino playing up top. And yep. one of the things I said to one of them is. With Firmino playing up top, it allows players to run on beyond them, though. That's because it. Because Firmino will never play on the last man. He likes to drop deep. No, he likes he to get involved. He, gets, he puts himself about. And yeah. What Firmino does is a lot of it actually goes unnoticed, but it's his movement. And it's yeah. like you said, his movement then when he drops deep, it pulls the centre half out or it gives then the centre midfielder, he thinks, oh no, there's two people standing here. What do you do? Then he goes to one and then all of a sudden gaps open up. You know, So yeah. he, he didn't have his best game by any means. 
but he still had an effective game with it, with more of his movement, you know, and his his movement a lot of the time goes massively on the wrist, but it was something that when you really watch the game, like if you watch it back, you'll see, you know, he's pulling boys out of position. He's coming right out wide, creating spaces in the middle because Holding or Chambers were maybe following out wide. And then that space is for when you've got a player like Wijnaldum who can run on into and players like Mane who that kid doesn't even have hamstrings. It's just not possible to run that fast. <laughs> I agree. A lot of people, again, were saying, you know, why is Firmino still on? Get him off, get a Rigi on, play him right up in the last man. You can't argue with Klopp whenever he, you know, we won 4-3. You know, he got the tactics spot on in the second half. The first half, the team was set up to not close down, I don't think. I think it was more to close down the space as opposed to close down the players. And they did that because Arsenal didn't really play through us. Like, you've seen their chances came from mistakes, notably yeah. from, from Moreno, which is... I don't think we'll get into that now. But no. we we were compact and we stayed in our positions and we didn't get pulled apart. And Arsenal, you know, are renowned for this passing game that they have, but they didn't pass through us, you know. Clavan looked so comfortable on the ball. Lovren looked okay as well. So, on the whole, yeah, I was happy enough. Definitely was happy enough. Just, yeah, just sorry, but yeah, just touching on the um, the first half performance myself. I know you, you might have seen things differently from where you was, Pia, inside the stadium. But from where I was watching, it was like it was one of the worst first half performances we we've, we've had under for Jurgen yeah. Klopp for myself i thought it was absolutely atrocious and i yeah. thought i said to my dad and my brother at the time i said just before Coutinho scored, these are going to get an absolute rollicking here at half-time because not yeah. one of them's gone out and done a job that Klopp's asked them to do. And I think he absolutely tore strips off them at half-time. I really do. I said to them, if these are going to come out a different team here because there's no way he will accept the performance like that. And Coutinho got them off the hook a little bit with that goal just before yeah. half-time. Said it changed the whole complexion of the half-time. Exactly. I, I, I still think Klopp would have been exactly the same. I think it wouldn't have mattered because from the, the previous 44 minutes it was it was a shambles there was no pressing there was no there was no fluidity in our play we wasn't creating much at all and I just thought yeah go in there and Klopp done exactly what I thought he'd do and he and they came out a different team second half yeah I also thought it was quite refreshing now was what Craig touched on then to bring Divock Origi on when it went 4-1 because yeah. we could see in the ground when it was three when it was sorry sorry when it was earth. 4-2, Klopp had Origi warming up and Origi stripped off and then when they made it 4-3, he still went to Origi, no, you're going on. And I thought that's quite good because yeah. Arsenal's two centre-halves will still have something to worry about there. And yeah. as, as you notice, when when the five minutes went up for extra time, you see Origi was closing down and putting pressure yeah. on the centre-halves. Very well. And we won a... To be honest, we um, we won quite a few throw-ins, didn't we? Or yeah, or onto the ball quite well in the last five minutes. So yeah. I thought it was quite nice and refreshing to see Klopp still go. Well, I tell you what, we'll go for it. We we'll carry on because yeah. in previous times we we we'd have put we'd have put like a Colo Torre or another centre half, and we'd have invited yeah. pressure, and that's when we do concede because we're not the we're not defensively good enough to soak up pressure. So well, that's what I was thinking. I was wondering, you know, when I got four three, I was looking and I was saying. Wonder if he's going to bring Matt up on, you know, to, to try yeah. and shore up the defence. But then, when you've had the system, when you've seen Arsenal's goals, and Arsenal's goals were preventable, you know, there's no doubt about it. But why change our system when we were playing so well? And he done the right thing, you know. I've always, and I'm a firm believer that attack is the best form of defence. You know, oh. set back, like you said, we're not a defensively sound team. You know, we don't have the likes of Chiellini or Bonucci in there who can just control a back line and you're happy to absorb pressure for 89 minutes. You know, we don't do that. And whenever you can attack, and like you said, when he brought Origi on, it meant Chambers and Holding 
couldn't push right up out of defence because if they keep that high line, they knew with Origi and Mane's pace in behind, they were beat again. So it gave them something to think about, like you said. And it was really, like you said, it was refreshing. That's that's a good word for it because it, it was good to see, you know, we're 4-3. I could do this and they could go and make a 4-4 and then people will say, well, why didn't you bring Matip on to shore up the defence? Or I can go for it and see what happens. And he did and it paid off. And it's good to see that because that's what you want. You know, you want entertainment. Didn't do much for my heart, right? Like, but we'll. Uh... No. <laughs> okay, then, Natalie, back over to yourself. What did you make of uh, the biz- the transfer business that uh, Sean Dice made this summer? Well, I think this is going to be a relatively short <laughs> section. Yeah, no problem. There hasn't been any. <laughs> There's been a disappointing um, transfer window for us, and and to be honest, the biggest disappointment is we don't seem like we've learned our lessons from the last Premier League campaign where we had two absolutely abysmal transfer windows, both pre-season and in the January one as well. We've been we've been crying out for a central midfielder um, for quite some time. In fact, in Burnley folklore, there is a thing that we uh, known as um, Brian Stock Day, which is the 11th of August, and that celebrates the, well, I say celebrates, um, that is the last time in 11th of August 2012 that Burnley last paid actual money for a central midfielder. Um, and it's become somewhat of an ironic celebration in Burnley at the moment. And actually, we just passed it and we, we just had some uh, some fun and games this week. And But it has, you know, become um, a little frustrating. I'd really hoped this year that with the improvements we've made to the club and as a business and what a secure financial standing that we are on, I really hoped that this year we were going to have a real go at strengthening the squad in order to stay up. And I think the first promotion, which we won in the playoffs back in 2009, yeah, nobody expected us to stay up. Everybody thought it would be a you know one-hit wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was absolutely the right thing to do for our board to invest that money in paying the club's debts, buying yeah, back yeah. the ground and, and, and putting ourselves in financial um, you know, comfort. The second promotion a couple of years ago, we finished off all of those. We paid back all the directors' loans. We sold a few players and we invested 10 million in our training um, facilities down at the old Goldthorpe ground. Um, So we've got an absolutely fantastic facility down there to bring our kids through and to, to train our players. So then for the third time, which was actually, we were actually going for promotion last year and we ended up winning the league. We posted, I think, profits of of 60 million, plus we've paid all our debts off so we don't owe anybody anything. We've bought our ground back, invested 10 million in our um, training facilities. So everybody, all of the Burnley fans said, well, you know, then we've got the new record-breaking television deal, which is worth in the first season 100 million. You, You look at it and you think... Well, this has got to be the season that we we really, really go for this and we invest in the yeah, squad yeah. and we bring some players in. And it's just not happened. And we, we saw a few warning signs at the beginning of the summer transfer window where our board was sort of, and, and Deitch were all saying, oh, you know, it's a crazy window and everybody's got money now. And you just thought, oh, no, not again. Yeah, and it, We've, I mean, we've bought in a couple of lads. We've bought Nick Pope and Joey Goodmunson in from Charlton, but obviously they're a, a relegated championship side. They're not, you know, they're good players, but they aren't the headline players who we need to to really, you know, set the, the Premier League alight. Um, and that was it, really. And then, actually, um, the, the biggest problem we faced this summer is that, unfortunately, we lost Joey Barton. He didn't sign a second deal with us um, at the end of the season. He chose to go to Rangers, which was a huge blow. Regardless of what you think, of Joey Barton and this isn't the forum for that debate he had an outstanding season for us last year he was a absolute top professional mm-hmm. it felt like he'd suddenly found a club that he was happy at we loved him he didn't put a foot wrong for an entire season he was an absolute leader and he revolutionised our midfield on the pitch and he is for me the main reason why we won the championship last season and then he left and 
In order to survive in the Premier League, we needed to keep Joey and strengthen him, so to give him a really good quality central midfielder alongside him. Not only have we not done that, but we've also lost him. So that was a real worry. Now, saying that, we have just found out today that we have signed Stephen DeFour from Andelect for a record club fee, which will sound very small to you guys, I'm sure. But for us, it's a big deal. But it's um, €8 million, I believe, which I think is about £7.5 million. Absolutely. which is a great signing and he replaces Joy um, absolutely now our chairman's telling us that they've got offers on on about nine players and he they're looking to bring three or four in before the transfer window shuts whether they manage to be flexible with their budget and get those players in I don't know but um, at least we have got some positivity into four I think will be a fantastic addition yeah wasn't he the guy that was linked with Manchester United a few years back and, and he broke his leg yeah, he? uh, he's a really he's, he's, uh, highly rated player, him isn't he? Yeah, he is, and we, we we genuinely when when he first, I mean, I think he'd been offered a really good deal in the um, in the Emirates over over there to play somewhere um, in a club there. Forgive me, I, I don't have the details to hand, and they were offering him serious money to go over there. But I think he's always felt, or certainly from what I understand, he's always felt like the Premier League was something that he hadn't yet tested himself with and for some reason Deitch I don't know how but Deitch managed to persuade him to come to Burnley but you're right I mean he was heavily rated by Ferguson when he was at United and I think when he broke his leg he sent him a letter didn't he which he's been doing the rounds this week saying that he was keeping an eye on him but never managed to bring him to the Premier League but we have and and I think you know he'll be he should start for us week in week out and he should have some real freedom in our um, side to to go out there and really perform so I'm, I'm very excited to see what he does. And just staying on your um, transfer business, obviously you took our man, the Red Cafu, John Flanagan, on loan. We did. What's, we your, did. Uh, what's your opinions on that? He's a he's a real. I mean, I don't I don't know that much about him. I think he he was just breaking into your side, wasn't he, when you were pushing for the top of the league? Was it the season before last, before he had that injury? Yeah. Um, and he, did he play about half a season? I mean, I'm sure you guys all yeah, 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 yeah. And when he was in the squad, he was being tipped for really big things. And from what I under, I mean, I remember him from the time, albeit you know, I, I, I did not follow Liverpool obviously, so I, I wasn't following him week in week, week in week out. But I remember he was on my radar, thinking what a great talent he was. He'll do well with. With us. I'm not sure who's going to get dropped for him, to be honest, because we've got quite a solid back four who've played. They've all played together since I think Boxing Day last year. They've they've not changed that back four formation, and they you know they were responsible for well largely responsible for us going 23 games. We didn't lose a game after Boxing Day Boxing Day last year. I think we we lost four one or four nil away at Hull on Boxing Day, and it looked like we weren't even going to make the playoffs. And then suddenly we we changed the back four, brought some new players in, and Stephen Ward certainly at left back was a huge, and Matt Loughton from Villa at right back, put uh, Michael Keane and Ben Mee in the centre, and with Tom Heaton in the nets, they didn't they they played that back five the rest of the season and went twenty three undefeated. So he's got his work cut out for him breaking into that back four. If I had to put money on it now, I would guess that Matt Loughton will lose his place at right back and he'll fit into right back but you ask Burnley fans and it's completely split split um a lot of people suggesting that it might be Stephen Ward at left back who loses his place to bring him in there so I suspect when he comes in that'll be it he'll stay but at the moment I don't know where he'll fit yeah I think he's uh just struggling with the slight injury at the moment isn't he and, oh, is and obviously yeah he can't play against Liverpool as uh his parent club at the weekend so it's probably going to be the the weekend after when you might might see a little bit of John Flanagan yeah I wonder if he'll play him for the Carling Cup game against Stanley just to see how he does 
Um, I suspect that probably will be a good opportunity for him to give him 90 minutes if he's fit. Yeah, what, what team did you get drawn against, sorry? Accrington Stanley. It's a it's our first competitive meeting and they're only up the road. It's one of our, I mean, Lancashire yeah. clubs, there's there's about a million of us all in a very small radio, <laughs> radius. I mean, um, actually, Accrington are our nearest neighbours. I know, obviously, our biggest rivals are Blackburn and they're only a few miles down the road at the other end of the M65, but Accrington's actually closer. And Accrington's a great little town in Lancashire where pretty much the town split. It splits in 90%, 10%, and 10% of the town are pure Accrington fans and they'll go on there. And then the nine, the other 90% is split evenly between Blackburn fans and Burnley fans. But they're not really rivals. It's a great club where you would just you, you treat them more as your second team, more than a rival. And Burnley and Blackburn fans will often go and watch Stanley if they've got a big game and support them. Um, and it's our first competitive meeting ever in the history of the two clubs. And we are absolutely, we are so excited. There's not going to be enough tickets because it's at Stanley. And I think the entire capacity of the stadium's 5,000 and we only get, I think, 2,000. So there's going to be so many Burnley fans desperate to go to that game. So that would be a fantastic opportunity for Flanagan to come in. Yeah, excellent. A club made famous by that milk advert all them years back yeah. in the... Ian Rush, was With Ian Rush, yeah. It was. Oh, wow. How our worlds collide. That's it. Go on, Pierre, over to Craig. Yeah, Craig, uh, how do you think the pool line up against Burnley? Can you see them keeping the same side that we played at the Emirates yesterday or can, can, do you reckon they'll make a few changes? Somebody asked me this in work today and I couldn't answer it then and I think he'll change. In all honesty, if, if Millie's fit, I think he'll come in at left-back because yeah. we've all seen Alberto Moreno, you know, he, he was at fault for the penalty, obviously. You know, two minutes prior to that, he made a really rash tackle on Aaron Ramsey in the box. He won the ball, but, I mean, if Aaron Ramsey had his foot there, it was a penalty. Then two minutes later, he makes that tackle on Walcott, gets led off with Miggs saving the penalty. And then from the goal, you know, a lot of people are blaming him. I'm torn because for something like that, you know, when the ball's cleared, you're taught to press and get out. He'd done the right thing in getting out, but at the same time, a bit of spatial awareness when he looks around and sees, well, Clavan stayed deep, Lovren stayed deep, Klein stayed deep, the ball's in the air. Am I in a position to attack? No. Why am I going? And then he should be pulling back in, and then Walcott wouldn't have that space, but he had it. So I think if Millie's fit, Millie will come back in at left back. I don't know what else he'll change because, you know, why would he change? At the same time, you know, he won 4-3 away to the Emirates with absolute no disrespect to Burnley, you would think. Arsenal are a better team than Burnley, you know, but Burnley will set up a lot different than Arsenal, so we might set up a bit more attacking, but he maybe bring Emery Chan in for Wijnaldum, but I can't see too many changes, to be honest. He likes playing Firmino in that sort of false nine. Yeah. You know, Origi, you know, we all know Origi finished the season really well prior to his injury. You know, he started in pre-season again, he's firing, but he likes that movement that Coutinho Firmino and Mane now have with like said Firmino dropping deep and Coutinho and, and Mane run ahead of him and if he does play Wijnaldum then Wijnaldum will run ahead so it's for a first time in a long time it's a really nice position to be in for a Liverpool fan where you know usually on a Tuesday night coming up to a Saturday game somebody spouts the team out on Twitter and that's it you know you're right whereas now people are still guessing up to 10 minutes before the team's announced because nobody knows and, you know, I think it's key what Klopp said in pre-season there. He said, rotation is not a word we'll be using this season. You know, one game a week, maybe cup games or two games in Premier League, but one game a week for the most part. Players should be able to play one game a week. You know, we shouldn't need to be rotating players. And for that reason, I don't think he'll change that much. But then, what do we know? You know, yeah. <laughs> if you're in Klopp, I don't think he'll change the back two. I've seen, you know, a lot of people thinking, well, will Matip come in 
Um, Can I just put in there, sorry, Craig, what it is, there's actually a, a question on this from uh, one of the one of the guys on Twitter who sent it in called uh, Steve-O at Sparrow1100, uh, and he asks a similar question. He says, do you think Klopp will go with um, Matip at centre-half and Clavin left-back instead of Moreno? So just carry on your point. Well, well, that, that that's an option. You know, we, Clavin has played left-back before, but... I don't know. He seems to like Milner there for for whatever reason. You know, obviously he's versatile. He can really he can literally play anywhere. Obviously not the great effect, and sometimes. But I think I can't see him playing Clavin out right out in the left hand side. You know, I can't. I can't see him doing that. I think Clavin now is one of our first names on the team sheet. Yeah. I really do. I think yesterday you yeah. seen when when the game went four three. There was times where Clavin was just doing the sensible thing and just yeah. getting rid of the ball. Where yeah. Sometimes if when we had Sarko and Lovren last season, we try and play it out. We play ourselves yeah. into, we put ourselves under pressure. And I just loved it yesterday. Eighty nine minutes, ball had come to Clavan, not an on. I'll tell you what, I'll go long. Let's yeah. get let's relieve the pressure. And for me now, he shouldn't even consider putting Clavan left back. And I don't think he will for the for the no. fact that he's solid in the centre. Yeah, he's, a, he's an organizer. Yes, that and that that's a big thing for me now because coming coming up to the start of the season, say. Before, well, I know Matty got his injury at Wigan, but everyone was saying it'd be Matty Lovren. Even before we signed Clavin and Matty was injured, it'll be Matty, it'll be Matty um, Lovren. And yeah. now I think Klopp really does have he's a hard choice to make now yeah. because he's brought. I think he brought Joel Matty in to be isn't one of his number one centre half. He's put him on yeah, big yeah, money, hundred grand a week, and now he signed Clavin, a lad for four million who hardly anyone knew about, and yeah. he's. Shown to be an absolutely quality centre half and a top signing, so it's yep. a good problem to have because in previous years we've been moaning at what centre halves are playing because they haven't been good enough. But now it seems that we have a, as you said before, it's a nice uh, a nice problem for Klopp to have and for us Liverpool fans to have. Yeah, we have quite a few good players at centre halves. Clavan has this composure at the back. You know, a lot of times last season. With no disrespect to Skirtle, and I'm one of these players that will bag players to the hill in terms of that because Skirtle, you know. He could have left Liverpool for big money four or five years ago, you know, when he was playing very, very well, and he didn't. He stuck around, so we respect him for that. But at the tail end of last season, you seen he just wasn't at the races for us. And when he got the ball, you were panicking. You were literally thinking, "What's he going to do with this? Is he going to just aimlessly hoof it long, or is he going to try and make a six-yard pass, or is he going to try and make a twenty-yard pass?" And you were really panicking. But Clavan yesterday. So composed, and when he had the ball, he was just lifting his head. He was doing the simple thing. He was playing it in the Henderson midfield. He was playing it out left. He was playing it out right. And when it needed to go, it was going. And it was good to see that because he was an organizer. He was controlling. You could see it set pieces. You know, he had one smashing header where I think it was Chambers was in behind him, and he was just about to nod it in. And Clavan just got up and got it away with the goal. It just dipped over Clavan's head. It sort of looked like he got a wee bit of a nudge, you know, but contact sport at the end of the day. But he organises the back four, and I think from the centre of that back four is where he's most suited, and which is why I can't see him putting him out the left back. I can more envisage Milner playing out there and Moreno getting dropped. But that's about the only change I can really see. Like I said, maybe Emery Chan coming back in, but you know, provide this is providing obviously Coutinho was just cramped yesterday. You know, obviously he pulled up and went off injured, so. If it is just cramp, you would imagine he'll be starting 100%. But if it's not just cramp, then you could maybe see Origi coming in up top or Sturridge coming in up top and Firmino just dropping back 5 or 10 yards. 
But apart from that, you know, why would he change it? We won 4-3 away to the Emirates, or away to Arsenal, the Emirates. So, well, no, just the way fixtures, and we've gone there and scored four goals and won, yeah. so there's not nearly much to change. But just another quick question for you, Craig. Can you see Liverpool dipping into the transfer window, uh, to the transfer market again this window? Do you think maybe we'd offer a go for a specialised left-back or maybe even a midf- midfielder, a controlling midfielder? What I think we need is a left-back and somebody in the middle of the park who can control the pace of the game. But what do I think we'll dip into it? In all honesty, yes, I do think we'll get a left-back in. I really don't know who because you've seen the likes of Hector now. He signed a new contract with Cologne on Friday there. So, you know, he was big linked all the summer. You know, Chilwell was linked big and he signed a new contract at Leicester. So the left-backs that we've been linked to are all now not going to be leaving their current clubs. So if he's going to sign a left-back, he's going to pull one out of nowhere. So... It'll be interesting to see. As for a centre midfielder, we do need one, 100%. We need somebody in there who's just going to sit and control the game. I'm a big fan of Mahmoud Dahoud from uh, Gladbach. I think he would just be perfect. I don't think we'll get him. You know, It's too late in the day now to pull him from Gladbach. They're, they're a strong team in Germany, so they're not going to want to start selling players after losing Shaka in the summer already. But there's a player in Roma, uh, Leandro Paredes, who I... He would just be brilliant. You know, he's tough tackling. He controls the t- tempo of a game and he can pick a pass. You know, these players in the middle of the park can just get the ball and give it two yards. I love seeing that. But whenever you can expand your game and suddenly he gets the ball in the tight corner and he can switch it 50 yards and open the play up for someone like Mane to run on the ball like that or Coutinho to open into that space, that's something that we don't have. You know, Henderson will always try one of these raking balls and he is capable of it, you know, once every seven or eight attempts. But... To answer your question, yes, I do think we'll dip back in. I think Klopp's holding out for somebody he wants in the middle of the park. I don't think, you know, there was links today to Gary Medell. I would be very, very surprised if he came in. You know, obviously he's, he's remembered for that ill-fated stay at Cardiff. But yeah, he's yeah. a very good player, you know, at the end of the day. I, I probably would take him in the middle of the park because he's tough tackling, he's hard as nails, and he gets the ball down and he plays football. And that's what you need. He sets the tempo of games. He was voted the player of the Copa America there in the summer and... When you look at the talent that was on show in there, that's no mean feat to win the player of the tournament. So I would take him, but again, I just think, you know, we're at the stage of the transfer window where we're going to be linked left, right and centre to players. I think our business needs to be outgoings, you know, more than incomings. Um, yes, we need a left back. Yes, we need a midfielder. But we have two strikers in our squad that are currently equating to £200,000 a week that we need rid of, that they're not going to get a kick, you know, in Bintec and Balotelli. I think with the Balassi deal going through today, I think Palace will have a bit of do now. Whether they want to spend it all on Benteke is up to them. But I think our business in the transfer window is more important to get players out than get players in at the minute. You know, if Milner's happy enough to fill in at left back, you know, we can do a job there because he's solid defensively and he likes going forward and he can cross a ball. So, you know, he's going to be as good as any left back we're going to get in at this late stage, probably, you know. With only a week or two to go in the transfer window, it's tough, you know, because you're leaving clubs then short. Clubs aren't going to want to get rid of a left back now, and uh, when their season's already started or a week before their season, and then you're they're running around trying to look for a left back. Yes, I do think we'll dip in, but I couldn't honestly predict who or where. You know, clubs like like you said a minute ago, Clavan he pulled that out of nowhere. Nobody knew he was coming. Next thing, he's leaning at Millwood. So it'll be interesting to see. You know, I can't see any sort of manic transfer deadline day deal coming into us but I can I think it's more important that we get rid of players you know £200,000 a week nearly a million pound a month on absolute needless players sitting on our bench I'm not even going to get onto the bench to be honest so 
I think it's more important to get rid of players. Possibly Markovic could it see the door in the way out as well. So yeah, I agree. Uh, wasn't on the uh, the bench either again yesterday, was he? No, and that was surprising whenever you seen our bench because there was very little. You know, they had Origi and probably Emery Chan who could really come on and change the game. But no Markovic. It was surprising. He's obviously club season every day in training, so he knows something we don't. But it was a strange one to see him not there. Especially with the lad Alexander-Arnold getting in on the bench before him. So, um, back over to yourself then, Natalie. How do you expect Burnley to adapt once again to the Premier League, having already had previous Premier League experience? I think just going back to what I was saying in the last um, segment, really, it worries me that we haven't entirely learned our lessons from the last one. I don't... It almost feels like um, we've all, this is only our second time in the, the Premier League. I tend to not, whilst you shouldn't discount it, I tend to not put as much weight to the first Premier League campaign we had back in 2009 um, just because the club was very different back then. We didn't make any particular big moves to try and stay in the, in the division and I think we just saw it as a bit of a um, a windfall really and just take take the season and go back down. So certainly the last one a couple of years ago and this one feels like we are deliberately trying to stay in the Premier League and um, wanting to you know, reinvent ourselves as a, as an established Premier League club over time. That you know, when you're a club like Burnley, these things don't happen overnight. I was saying to to somebody earlier on today, actually, and, and it seems maybe for, for you guys supporting the club that you do, this might seem like a really crazy thing to do to say. Sorry, but when you're a club like Burnley. The Premier League can be a really miserable place to play football. It yeah. really, really can. You know, you guys. You know, you've got the. You know, you've got the history. You've been. You've you know, you've never come out of the Premier League. You've got the money behind you. You've got a global fan base, and you're very well set up and established to be pushing for the top six places every single season. When you're a club like Burnley, everything in these early stages, when you're trying to establish yourself as as, as a Premier League side. It's a hard graft. It's a very long, hard slog. The board have got to make very difficult and very ruthless business decisions. You know, do they bet the ranch, as we like to call it, or do they, you know, um, take a more disciplined approach? You know, do you take a, a calculated gamble to try and go for the, you know, not the parachute payments, but the actual prize money that comes with staying in the Premier League, especially under the new deal? A second season, the Premier League is worth an extra 40 million. Shoot, you know, you get 60 million for going down the second year but you get a hundred million if you stay up so you know we're talking about how much do you invest to try and win an extra 40 million which for a club like Burnley is is money we've we've never seen in our entire history it certainly feels like it's changed this time and it feels like there's more pressure this time than it did the last time we were in the Premier League how much we adapt I honestly don't know because unless you get a really rich owner who comes in and buys your club. So let's say how Bournemouth did it. You know, Bournemouth had um, very wealthy owners who came up. You know, there are some suggestions that they breached Premier League, uh, the financial fair play rules to get up there. But, you know, they did a fantastic job staying up there. But they have got a lot of money behind them to try and, and keep them up. So unless you have an owner like that who can come in and try and back you, you've got to do it slowly. And it's the old... 
yo-yo club technique of, of, and I think it was made famous back in the day by the likes of West Brom, Bolton, Fulham. You know, they went up and down a few seasons until they finally managed to do enough on the third or fourth time they went up to stay up there. And I suspect that that's the way that we will do it. Just make gradual improvements every single time we go up with the hope that, you know, if we just can just stay up. And believe me, I'll take 17th. I will take 17th on goal difference. In fact, I'll take 17th on goals scored if it just means we stay up in one season. I have no grand designs for anything higher than that. Um, So I suspect that the improvements we make will be marginal ones. I mentioned before, we've made fantastic investment into our training facilities down at Gawthorpe. We've streamlined a lot of our um, commercial activities behind the club. We've, you know, we've improving the ground every single year. So I think the message is don't expect to reinvent Burnley Football Club to come at you in your faces with this all singing, all dancing Premier League shiny machine. It will be Burnley Football Club that is as authentic as it's always been. Um, It will have its values at heart, but it will just be trying to make small changes and small improvements every year to hopefully one day keep us up there. Excellent stuff. Thanks very much for your thoughts on the, the Burnley side of things there, Natalie. Right, okay then. What we're going to do now is uh, head over to our quiz part of the show five question shootout five questions each and then if it's a draw at the end we'll have to have a, a tiebreaker question but seeing as how Burnley are the home team this weekend we will go with Natalie for the first question so I'm going to ask Natalie's questions and Peter I'm generally you... terrified about this by the way <laughs> I'm really scared no, you, have, uh, <laughs> you have no need to be like I say it's multiple choice so okay for the majority of the questions anyway not all of them <laughs> oh, oh. Okay, right gotcha. I'm, I'm concentrating okay first question for you Natalie is who scored the most goals in Burnley's 15-16 season, which is last season, obviously, from George Boyd, Michael Keane, or Scott Arfield? Scott Arfield, I think. Yes, that is the oh. correct answer. Well done. <laughs> George Boyd had five, uh, Michael Keane, five, and Garfield Scott six. Garfield got <laughs> he got eight. Oh, eight. I don't think it was that many. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say Andre Gray. I was hoping that was going to be... Oh, he was. Uh, yeah, when I was doing the questions last night, oh, no. he was like miles ahead with about 23 yeah. goals, I think, something he like that, wasn't he? He was leading scorer last season as well, I think. Yeah, so. to be honest, there wasn't that many like other scorers apart from... Uh, no, there wasn't. There, there was these three. There was the guy, Gray. There was another one. How many did Fawkes get? He must have Fawkes got... was another one. Oh, but, yeah. but beyond them, there wasn't there wasn't that many other scorers, which I found quite surprising. Yeah, and given that Michael Keane is our centre-back, yeah. Yeah, he's Okay then, go on then, Pete. Right then, Craig, your first question. Who scored the most goals last season from Joe Allen, Adam Lallana or James Milner? Millie, I think. Good answer, yeah. James Milner, five. Lallana, four. Joe Allen, two. Excellent stuff. One apiece. Okay. Next question to you, Natalie, is from which club did Burnley sign James Tarkowski? Brentford. Brentford is the correct answer. Well done. Excellent <laughs> stuff. <laughs> really good right stuff. Then, right then, Craig, here's your second question. From which club did Liverpool sign Big Divock Origi from? Uh, Lil. Good answer, mate. Good answer, yeah. Leal, correct answer, 2-2. Good stuff. Right. Third question for you, Natalie, is... 
Who started the most league games for Burnley last season? From Joey Barton, George Boyd, or David Jones? Oh, David Jones. That's actually That's incorrect. incorrect. Ah, was it Boyd? No, it was George Boyd, forty-two. Yeah, yeah. I nearly went with Boyd. I just, I was, I knew it wasn't Barton because he joined us a, like a month into the season. I was, just, ah, damn it. <laughs> right then, Craig. Your third question is: Who started the most games in the Premier League last season? From Dayan Lovren, Mamadou Sako, and Emre Can. That's tough. They must all be tight, then, boys. Um, well, Sako sort of got rolled out towards the end of the season, so uh, go with Lovren. Sorry, that's wrong. Dayan Lovren, yes. twenty-two. Mamadou Sako, twenty-one. Emre Chan had 28 Premier League appearances. So that's uh, that's still two apiece, isn't it? It is. Pressure. Okay, <laughs> so we're on to the fourth question now, aren't we? Right, Natalie, your question is, in all competitions last season, how many red cards did Burnley receive? Was it two? Was it zero? Or was it four? It was zero. Correct answer. Not a red card in sight last no, season. No, they won the Fair Play League last year, so that's a good one. <laughs> Excellent. So that's three, two. Go on, P. Ask Craig his next question. Right then, Craig. Come on, let's equalise. <laughs> New Liverpool defender Joel Matip represents which international side? Uh, I want to say Cameron. I want to say Cameron. I'm going to say Cameron. Good answer. Cameron it is. 3-3. Three, three. 3-3, three, three. right, okay. Are these ones that had defected and played somewhere else? Yeah, yeah, no, he's, he's definitely a Cameroon international, yeah. Yeah, he was. He, he was personally brought up in Germany, but his uh, father was from Cameroon. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. But now you're right, uh, Cameroon, it is. Okay, fifth and final question for you, Natalie. Burnley got promotion with 93 points last season, but did they score more or less than 70 goals oh my god um oh this is a guess um let me start more just 72 correct and it was 72 as well don't get a bonus point Oh, right. So, Craig, the pressure's on now, pal. Go on, P. Ask him his fifth and final question. Natalie's leading. Is it 4-3? Four, 4-3, three? Four, 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 yeah, it is 4-3. Go on. Ask, right then, Craig. Ask him the question. Who is the oldest player out of these three? In the Liverpool squad, yeah. In the Liverpool squad, yeah. Is it Emery Chan, Bobby Firmino or Mamadou Sarko? Oh, it's not Emery Chan. Because he's only 23, I think. Sacco, where is a Sacco? 26, maybe. Um, I'll go for. I'll go for Sacco. We've got a tiebreaker, Pete. <laughs> for a tiebreaker. I'm here. <laughs> 
And right, I'm going to have to uh, head over to my uh, football quiz question website because I didn't have one ready, I didn't think. And the same, <laughs> same happened last week as well with, with the quiz. It went to a tiebreaker, so these, uh, these quizzes are very, very close of late. Right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you the question and then as soon as I've finished the question which will be a year. I'd like you to come in and say either of your names. Peter, you're going to have to be the uh, the referee on this to see who comes in first. You, what we'll do is you'll get a chance to to have a go and then if you get it wrong, the next person, then we keep going as if, it, as if it's a penalty shootout situation. So the question I'm going to ask you is, which football club did Paul Gascoigne briefly manage in 2005? Uh, Craig... Go on, Craig. Is it Charlton? It's not Charlton, no. Oh, God. I remember this, but I don't remember what. It was... God, this is horrible. This is well hard. <laughs> <laughs> this is like... He used to play for us as well. I don't. I can't even remember who he... I think I remember now, you know. Natalie's got a question first. Uh, got an answer to go oh, first, because oh, she's... Oh, a... No. Oh, this is... Oh, it's a complete guess. I don't even... I don't even remember... I'm, I'm gonna guess um, MK Dons. Nope. Nope. Yeah, I don't know honestly. It's over. I, I actually remember this. I remember this. I think I can remember it now. After I said my first answer, I think I remember who it is. Go on, Craig. Get us with it. <laughs> this is gonna be crap if it's wrong. Like, is it Kettering Town? It is, it is, yeah. It is Kettering. The Kettering yeah. Town yes. is the correct oh. answer. The poppies. As soon as you said it, I knew. Could envisage it and. I don't know why I said oh, I got mixed up with Charlton. Fantastic quiz there, guys. Uh, <laughs> four apiece and Craig took it on the penalty shootout uh, Southern Death situation. So um, when you hear the podcast played back, Craig, we'll put a little bit of uh, You'll Never Walk Alone on at that point for you. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> right. Okay, guys, just before we end uh, the show, what I'm going to do now is play um, a song by our unsigned band this band has been in touch with us on uh, on twitter this week the band are called the kulaks they are based in liverpool they are a local band who have been together for one and a half years the ages are 16 to 18 and they recorded their first demo and it had over 1000 plays called ain't going nowhere they've been successful too including plays on radio stockton they hope to release new music as soon as they can and will continue gigging around the city for the rest of this year. So the song I'm going to play for you tonight is called Ain't Going Nowhere by The Coolants. Stuck to my dress 
she's not here beside me I smoke twice as many cigarettes when she's gone Oh, but she still won't see the reason why I came here today Oh, won't she see? Oh, baby, won't you see? To my arms, well, it's okay, baby. I won't be alone. I'm yours. Just come and mess me up. Cause I died that never had to leave you. But it's okay, baby. I ain't going nowhere. No, I ain't going nowhere. Going Nowhere by The Kulaks. Big thank you to Craig and Natalie for both uh, joining us on the show tonight. Hope you uh, enjoyed the show, guys. Great. Thank you very much. Very much so. Thank you for having us. You're very welcome, the both of you. So um, just a quick one before I go. Anfield Observer sent us a question in on Twitter. We uh, actually covered that topic. It was a, a question about James Milner. So thanks for your question, guys. And um, we'll get you the next question on the next Cop Table podcast, which will be a, a preview of the Tottenham game next week. So that's the Cop Tables preview for the Burnley game all wrapped up. Thanks very much to everyone who's listened. Good night. Songs to sing of the glory.